Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open Round 4 catch-up, Djokovic survives Massetti scare, Serena out to Rybikina, and Roger Federer withdraws from the competition. Kim, round four is nearly complete. We are one match away from our complete set of quarterfinalists on the men's side and the women's side. As we're recording, Sviontek is playing at the moment against Marta Kostuk. So we are we have actually been talking before this podcast. What what is going to finish first? Us recording in about an hour or so, probably, or the Kostuk Sviontek match? Well, Joel, Marta Kostuk is has taken an early breaks lead, so Shvontek has break back point. So who knows? It could be a three setter. We, I think, we might finish before, uh, but you know, <laughs> Shvontek has been in quite dominant fashion, so she may break back and then not lose another match, uh, another game, or or another match. We'll see. Uh, she is, you know, the highest. Uh, ranked person I think left in the women's draw uh, but we'll get on to that in a bit uh, it's been quite a lot of I guess debate I think surrounding especially the men's side of the tournament which I think we should start with because I guess most notably of all is the fact that Roger Federer you know he was due to play Matteo Berrettini in the fourth round is no longer with us in the tournament he has withdrawn um, and people are a bit kind of split on whether it's okay for him to do that or or he's kind of taking the piss a bit uh, I don't know where you stand on that Joel but um people have been quite divided I think it's fair to say yeah definitely it's been a story yeah that has really I think split the the kind of tennis community you know there are people on one hand saying you know it's kind of disrespectful to uh you know the French Open it's disrespectful to his you know, opponents that, um, you know, he's he's pulling out and treating the French Open as a, a warm-up event to the, you know, the grass season effectively. He's almost treating a Grand Slam like a, I don't know, like a 250. And people are not happy with it. There are other people who, you know, on the, on the kind of flip side of it are looking at it like, you know, he's perfectly within his right to do that. You know, he's got to listen to his body and he's come back from, you know, lengthy time out. He doesn't want to aggravate his his knee given that, you know, his best chance of winning a Grand Slam is coming up with Wimbledon. So there's two kind of really standout arguments here that I think either people are people are agreeing with uh, or they're inside of one camp or the other. I think if you were kind of asking me kind of what camp I'm in, I I can understand the people who would say that it's you know it's it's sort of disrespecting the the tournament and you know is not particularly it doesn't look particularly great but I think at the same time for me you got to look at his record I think this is like his only fifth <laughs> withdrawal ever I think he's got to listen to his body we've got to remember he's 40 he's 40 years old and I know that he he is one of the you know the greatest of all, all time and I think he should deserve be deserved I think a little bit of leeway in terms of when it comes to kind of making these decisions yes it's not it doesn't look great I think um with regards to you know we want to see him on court and it's it's going to be a big shame for fans but I think if he's got to listen to his body then there's only really one outcome there and he's already kind of made it plain and clear that Wimbledon is his goal and as a result of that this is sort of the the logical decision given that he was coming off a, you know a three and a half hour night match that didn't didn't finish uh, before midnight. Yeah, I, I get completely the reasons why he's done it. I totally, you know, we kind of knew that he was obviously aiming for Wimbledon and that, you know, I guess his intention to play at Roland Garros may have been motivated out of the fact that this could be his last 
time at Roland Garros and I'm sure like sponsors as well would have wanted him to play you know a big tournament and he was wanting you know more match practice under his belt but for me I I see his reasons but I just I think the fact that you are like 100% essentially entering a tournament with zero desire to win it I mean Mm. I mean I'm sure he would love to have won another Roland Garros but like 99% of him was probably like I don't really care how like well I do I just want to get like three matches under my belt I I don't know I mean maybe if his match against Dominic Kerbfer had been an easy straight sets one hour 20 minute long match he would still be here he would have played the fourth round today but I just feel like he never ever intended to complete all of his matches here and it's like can you do that I know you're the greatest of all time you know some would say I know you're Roger Federer but Mm. I just feel it's like somewhat some part of it is like going against the integrity of competing in a slam you know the the epitome like the, the greatest event you can play in tennis and there's just some it's not in the spirit of of a Grand Slam competitor that's my issue but I do understand his reasoning and I do I do get that I do think it was a bit funny how it, it did come out because it, it came out as kind of the, you know, it still came out in the aftermath of the Kurt for match as opposed to like just before the Berrettini match. And I think as a result of that, people have kind of cottoned on to this kind of idea that it was sort of, uh, you know, pre, it, it was, it was already sort of in his mind and maybe the way it kind of came out, it was a bit, like some people might say it was a bit too blasé and he sort of knew what he was doing. It's all being kind of calculated. And, you know, maybe if he had just had delayed making that announcement and perhaps it was more towards, you know, the Berrettini match. And it was like, you know, I, I went out on the practice court and I didn't feel right. Therefore I'm withdrawing. Then perhaps he might have had some more sympathy. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think it's the way he did it. It was like, oh, I'll just see if I, you know, feel like playing, you know, if I rock up or not. If he'd have just said, oh, my knee is feeling a twinge. Like, I I really need to protect my knee. I'm still, like, feeling it. There's an issue. I've tried my best. Sorry, I can't carry on. That's a bit different to being like, oh, I'll just decide tomorrow if I feel like turning up or not, you know. And I, I just, I think that's, you know... um, that's been the issue it's like the attitude that's come with it um there have however been some quite witty things going around on twitter i have to say about you know federer playing at wimbledon and if he's gonna then like withdraw at a certain point you know because he's got enough practice for the us open there's been a lot of humor going around which (laughs) i feel i have found quite funny but um the other thing is that people are comparing it with you know like naomi osaka withdrawing uh, like for mental health reasons and the fact that the French Tennis Federation were kind of a bit like initially a bit anti her, um, you know, her reasoning with her mental health. Yet yeah, when it comes to Federer and like his physical, his physical health, his, his tiredness, they've been a lot more accommodating. And I do think that that is um, bad. I, I feel like there has been from at least the governing bodies and and perhaps, you know, pundits in the media, a bit more like acceptance of Federer's decision as opposed to Naomi's. And like, they should be equal. If you're pulling out for physical health, it should be the same as mental, like mental health should not be any less than, than a physical health issue. And I think there's still a way to go, obviously, with recognising that. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, that was the the big learning, I think, with regards to the Sarka situation and as you said a lot of people kind of comparing the two I don't think they're like for like but what it has I think spotlighted is the fact that the reaction to mental health uh pulling out for mental health reasons versus the reaction pulling out for physical health reasons feel completely different at the moment you know we saw the the FFT but the, you know the Grand Slams in general kind of almost go after uh you know Osaka with quite a you know arguably a heavy-handed message around sort of fines and you know you've got these commitments etc whereas for this guy forger the you know the the lead guy for the you know the french open just kind of said we wish him all the best for the rest of the season and there's a massive you know there's a massive massive difference there and and there should be a you know there shouldn't be a there shouldn't be a, a distinction between the two and maybe that's something that, you know, it's going to need to be looked at in the future. But it certainly showed, I think, that the contrast that exists at the moment and the fact perhaps in the future that certainly needs to be ironed out. 
Yeah, and I mean, one person who was very much behind Federer was Andy Murray, who was sort of, I guess, uh, backing him up and, and, and saying, you know, it's quite risky to play so much tennis when you're in still mm. one of your earliest tournaments back and you've got to see how it goes. Like, you know, it's sort of an experimental phase almost. And he was comparing it, I guess, to like other sports like basketball when players are you know, given just like a short amount of time to come onto like a court and, and get match practice. Whereas in tennis, you know, you don't have that ability to just play half a match. You know, you kind of got to, it could be, you could be stepping onto court for four hours or it could be one hour. So it's a bit different. And I get his point. And, um, you know, I, I, I just wonder if, if, if it'd been another player, you know, whether the, reception would have been different if there would have been a lot less understanding from some quarters if it was someone else but you know I I, I just I don't know it's an interesting point about one's participation in the slam event and whether you're in it to win it or whether you enter an event for other you know other reasons yeah for me this this is kind of what I think where the opportunity potentially for exhibition events could come in because you know, if if there is our players out there who are injured and they don't want to go kind of full throttle, kind of back onto the tour straight away, but they want to get kind of minutes under their belt, um, perhaps in not such a in such a full fat format, then that I think is where kind of things like Ultimate Tennis Showdown could play a role in in helping players, uh, you know, come you know come back for injury where they they don't necessarily want the you know the pressure of of ranking points or whatever on the line. So. If, if there is, you know, if there are sort of, I guess, exhibitions out there, that's potentially how I would kind of be looking to kind of position how I fit into the tennis calendar, because it does feel like it is, it is sort of an issue with, you know, players coming back and it's, it's very, you know, it's very clear cut. It's like either, either I don't play or I'm going to play for, you know, a best of three set match or at a slam, a best of five set match. And that can be, that can be quite a big jump. So maybe there is some sort of middle ground that potentially could be addressed by, um, you know, exhibition events like the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, which did get played in the build up to the French Open. It just might be a role that they might look to kind of own in the future. Yeah. I mean, um, I, 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 I've heard that Nottingham is quite nice this time of year. Maybe Federer could have <laughs> missed the clay season and just gone and played like as many grass events as possible. I think there were rumours that he was going to go and play Stuttgart because uh, I think there I was reading there was there was some the draw for Stuttgart was delayed and there were some rumours going about that oh is is Roger Federer is he going to be starting his grass court season early in, in Stuttgart but it didn't it didn't quite materialise Shapovalov is is the top seed but um yeah I mean it's it'll be we hope it doesn't have an effect, I think, on his, his grass kind of preparations. And the fact that he's done this is just, it, it, as you said, it's, it's just a sense of precaution. And he wants to protect not just kind of playing Wimbledon, but, you know, Haller probably as well. And, you know, it's all about chasing the next Grand Slam because, you know, he's on, he's, on, he's tied at the moment with Nadal, Djokovic just behind him. He probably feels that pressure and he wants to be kind of outright there. And, when he's seeing Rafa Nadal on the tennis court going for his 14th French Open, he's probably a bit kind of like, well, if that's the case, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to go back to, you know, my own sort of kingdom, the grass courts. And, you know, he wants to be fully fit for that. Yeah, I just think the issue is that I don't, this may sound controversial. I don't think Roger's the king of Wimbledon anymore. I think that's Novak Djokovic, you know, Federer... Federer is losing to Djokovic every time they play at Wimbledon. Like, when did Federer last beat Djokovic on a grass court? I don't see Federer winning Wimbledon if Novak Djokovic is in the draw. So, like, what are his chances at Wimbledon, realistically? He's got to rely on Djokovic, like, something happening to Novak at that tournament. I just I just can't see. I know he had <laughs> match points against him in the 2019 final, but that was pre-surgery. Like, I just think if Federer is struggling to get through, you know, a long match at Roland Garros, I know Wimbledon is, you know, a couple of weeks away, but really, are you going to be able to get through seven matches, like uh, possibly against, you know, your greatest, uh, one of your greatest rivals? And I think essentially, uh, you know, the player that is going to take your mantle and potentially win more Wimbledons than Federer. There, dare I say it? <laughs> um, but yes, perhaps, perhaps we should leave it at that. <laughs> 
Well, let's move on to the tennis and let's talk about matches that did happen because we had a cracker today in Novak Djokovic versus Lorenzo Musetti. It was a very strange match, wasn't it, Kim? It was five. It went five sets. Djokovic at one point looked like he was on the way out. It looked like it was going to be one of the probably one of the biggest upsets in recent times at Grand Slams. Musetti went two sets up. Um, he won both tie breaks. He seems to be the tiebreak king at the moment. I don't know if he's learned that from Novak Djokovic, but I think he's eight and eight and zero. Oh. I think he's ten and zero oh actually now after those those two tiebreaks. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, at that moment, I mean, did you? What were you thinking? Did you feel like it it was on the cards, or were you still kind of was it sort of a, a Federer Alejandro fire situation at Wimbledon where you were still two sets down, but you sort of sensed he was still the favourite? <laughs> It's funny that you mention Alejandro Fire because that match always brings to memories like me of camping in in the queue and I was I remember where I was when that match was going on. But anyway, um, yeah, Massetti. I think his record in tie breaks was six and zero, oh, and now it's eight and zero. Oh. Um, I was very surprised by that, and you know he's he's still unbeaten in tie breaks. So all he needed was for the third set to go to a tie break, and he would have won. Um, Kim John Isner is phoning Lorenzo Massetti right now, isn't he? To be like, what's your what's your uh, what's your tie break secret secret recipe? <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, you know, four words changing of the guard and I thought oh is this the match that's going to go down in history and then it all went very pear shape for Massetti it was a really weird match like because you know Massetti went a breakdown at the start you know of the match and I thought oh okay here we go it's going to be quite one-sided I think and then obviously he came back took the first on a tie break took the second on a tie break and I thought oh he's really exceeded my expectations and then after that he really massively uh, underseeded them I know that's not a word but I was just incredibly underwhelmed with the rest of the match and you know he was sort of having like issues with his groin like he had a medical timeout but at the start of that that fourth set you know Novak won 16 points in a row it was completely one-way traffic and you know in the end Massetti retired at four love down in the fifth set and I just thought well where is the player that you know was there like two sets ago like where did he go he just completely disintegrated and I don't know if it was the pressure you know being two sets up he just I I mean I was very disappointed that it it kind of completely turned around it's it's very you know I was expecting Novak probably to still come back and win but it's just that the dominance of it was was crazy I just it was a very strange match Massetti, I think, showed what you know what we've seen this this tournament. The, the amount of promise that I think he brings to the tour, his shot making capabilities. I mean, for me, kind of watching it on on TV, I think it was quite clear. And I think this was some, sort of, I think, something that Dan Evans tapped into in in his win against Djokovic was, I think, a, a way to play him on clay is when you're returning his serve try and you know don't don't go for like the you know obviously don't go for the winner down the line or or cross court but if you kind of get it back block the block block the shot get it back and give him no pace to kind of work with um, and really ask the question of Djokovic to you know to add the pace into the point I think that's a, a tactic I feel genuinely feel like that's a viable tactic that players can use against Djokovic potentially to make things difficult for him on a clay court and I think Massetti did that um, you know, in the first couple of sets, um, he's a very, I think, also a very kind of flashy player. And I think in in one sense that I think bodes well, I think, in terms of the, you know, the future of the, you know, the ATP tour and, and looking at these kind of players that are coming up, because I do think he has those shots that are going to kind of capture imaginations and go viral on, on social media. And, you know, we've seen that before, you know, with the likes of people like, you know, Nick Kyrgios and Gael Monfils. But I think here, you know, that, that level of creativity that he shows, I think it has a, it has more of a purpose. And you can see that even though it looks a bit, even though it looks a bit crazy, a little bit mad, it sort of kind of works and is constructive for him. And, you know, the fact that he went kind of two sets up, you know, I think he will, he will look back on this tournament as some, as a point where, he probably learned a lot. You know, he learned a lot from those first two sets in, 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 you know, winning uh, against, you know, one of the big three. And then he probably learned a lot more from the, the next three sets in terms of, you know, how Djokovic came back and he, he was almost kind of like the incredible Hulk of her. It was kind of like, he just like made him angry and 
he just unleashed to kind of full force, particularly with his forehand Djokovic from that third set on. Yeah, I think there's a lot more substance to the showboating from Massetti as opposed to other players. And like, I mean, he should definitely uh, probably, you know, get shot of the tournament. There were so many, you know, from his matches that could be up there. I think the whole top 10 would probably be Lorenzo Massetti. <laughs> but I, and, you know, I just, I, it was unfortunate. He obviously was physically struggling. Um, you know, he is probably, new to the whole great this was his first grand slam you know it's his, his debut in the in a main draw and so yeah, that will have ramifications on his body um and you know we've got to remember that this time last year he was ranked i think like 284 so he's come a long way very very quickly and i mean he did do a lot more than i expected i have to say just a word on on his retirement because again there's a lot of kind of people out there on on twitter in in the the community I think talking about whether he should have retired and you know in his interview afterwards he actually says um, he wasn't kind of injured and he was just kind of doing it for the crowd he said just a little bit of cramps and a little bit of low low back pain I was not any more able to win a point and was not really grateful also for the crowd that was there so I decided to retire so I thought that was quite I thought I was quite telling and if I was Novak Djokovic I I don't think I would be particularly happy. I mean I know he's probably going to he can't really kind of show that out, you know, outwardly, but you know I, I don't think that would come up on his record, you know, the fact that he would have come back from two sets down and you know I just feel like, you know, we had do you remember when Medvedev kind of played through that match, uh, you know, in Miami when he had like loads of cramps on that, you know, in that mm. tournament that was just really brutal uh, on 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 the players kind of physically? And I just kind of wondered whether, you know, yes, as as well as kind of Musetti played and and you know, as much as he wanted, the, I think the plaudits and, and the crowd. I do think I was hoping that he could have finished it because I think it deserved an ending, and I I don't think that ending should have been a, a retirement. Yeah, I think like judging from that comment, he was thinking more, oh, you know, this is such a one way traffic now. I, I The crowd mm. are just, yeah, you know, exactly. I'm not able to give them anything. I'll do it for their benefit. But, you know, you shouldn't really think of the crowd. Like you've got to think about what's, I get what's best for you. But I mean, cramp, cramps can be very debilitating. But yeah, I mean, for the sake of two more games, you know, if you're going to retire at four, love, you might as well. I mean, he didn't go off in a wheelchair. He didn't go off in a wheelchair, which we've seen other players indeed do, ha- do this week. So, um, I'm not, I'm not doubting that there were kind of cramps there, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in the camp of I think he should have played to the end. Yeah, I think, I think for the sake of two more games, he should have done. Um, it, but you know, this is his first slam. He's obviously quite immature. Perhaps you know in a year's time he would make a different decision so I guess we kind of need to give him a bit of leeway um I was yeah it was just I think everyone would probably agree that it was not the way that people wanted that match to end you know it was just after the promise of that second set we thought oh we're on for a right firecracker uh, of a match and then it really fizzled out yeah someone (laughs) got a massive bucket of water and just threw it on the fire (laughs) and off it went Novak Djokovic got that bucket of water didn't he yeah I mean to be fair Novak said he was quite nervous before the match um actually started and he said at at two sets down he was less nervous than when he started the match and he just started to play a lot better as well so all credit where credit's due it wasn't just the fact that Massetti went off the boil Novak obviously the champion that he is started playing a lot better and you know really upped his level as you know fantastic champions like him do so absolutely fair play and and all credit to Novak. Well let's move on to another match uh, involving a young Italian because we had Yannick Sinner versus Rafa Nadal and this really was I think water was poured on this from the very very first well from the second set actually the first set was quite tight and you know Yannick Sinner probably you know looking back on it would have thought I probably should have taken that first set, but Nadal came through seven five six three six love. It was pretty, you know, it was pretty comprehensive by the end, as you can tell. He bag- you know, that bagel in the, in the third set, but um, yeah, I think we were sort of expecting a bit more from this match, weren't we, Kim? And you know, we were talking about the fact that they had played last year, and we would have been interested to see how much kind of development has has happened in in Sinner's game, but really, kind of looking at this, I feel like it's it's been the same story, and it's the fact that. He's been able to kind of carve out opportunities. Um, you know, every time he's kind of played Rafa since, 
you know, since that match in, uh, you know, in 2020 at Roland Garros, you know, Rome as well this year, um, he's had opportunities in all of those matches, but he's, <laughs> he's ended up losing all, all six sets he's played. Yeah, and I think Sinner will be disappointed because if you compare, like, especially this match to their for, uh, quarter, quarterfinal encounter last time around, very similar in the sense that Sinner was serving for the first set in both times and he failed to do so. And the second and third set kind of ran away from him. Um, and, you know, I think Sinner will have been hoping that he would have made more of an improvement when it comes to the scoreline, you know, from, from that match. I mean, it wasn't a complete year ago. It was sort of eight months ago or what have you. Um, you know, he's carving out opportunities, failing to take them. And I think, you know, he just hit way too many unforced errors today, like 40. Yeah. You can't afford to do that. It's 11 winners. Yeah, the ratio is completely off. And, you know, his first serve, I think he needs to work on that. Um, he needs, you know, obviously he's still young. He's 19. There's plenty of time for him to develop. And I'm sure he is the sort of player that will go away and look critically at his game and think, what do I need to do? But I think he just mentally was also like, oh, um, by the time it got to that third set, like, what am I supposed to do? If you look at his kind of, you know, his presence on court versus Musetti, I get the feeling with Sinner because, you know, he's been, you know, he's been on, on people's radars a bit longer. I genuinely think, and I look at his kind of facial expressions, I feel like he just carries, feels like he carries expectation now. He carries the weight of that on his shoulders. And I don't know if that's kind of impacting his game particularly when it comes to, you know, the big matches. Um, you know, we talk about the, you know, these kind of Nadal matches over the last, uh, you know, the last uh, year, 12 months or so. Um, but I do think that sometimes when he, when he does kind of face these, you know, the opponents that are, you know, higher above him and maybe in his mind, he thinks that, oh, I'm, I'm, expe- I'm, almost, I'm almost expected to kind of cause an upset here or, or take it to five sets and, Perhaps because of that, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of impacting his, his game because, you know, he's, he, he very much kind of gets into the, you know, it gets into the matches, but it's just not able to, to kind of kill it off. And, um, with this match, it was, it was very much the, you know, it was very much the same story. Yeah, I, I wonder if he'll become a bit of a Grigor Dimitrov or, you know, someone who very early on in their career, you know, we sort of sing their praises and then it kind of, doesn't quite work out and the expectation is too much I hope not but I just I feel that that's always a route that they could go down and we probably shouldn't put too much you know on these young players a bit like kind of Coco Goff you know we sort of expect so much and you know perhaps it will come later on it will come when the time is right but I mean I do like Sinner's attitude I think I, I really like the fact that he's very calm and composed on court and very respectful and but I do wonder if if perhaps he's a bit too nice sometimes and too quiet yeah maybe he needs a bit more aggro in him to to really just think oh sod the big three i'm gonna do my (laughs) thing you know (laughs) yeah definitely um but yeah i mean i think he'll be disappointed but you know he's still young there's plenty of opportunities and i think he needs to develop more variety um in his game because you know we saw today like big two versus the you know young italians the big two i mean Yes, there is a big three, but I'm just saying big two. We didn't have the third player playing today. Um, they know how to play like every shot, when to use the right shot. They know how and when to deliver. And it really does show, uh, you know, you can go two sets down. You can, you know, be um, a, a, like breaks down, whatever adversity is thrown at you and they will come through and deliver. And that's the difference, essentially. So they've gone through the big, uh, you know, Novak and Rafa still on course to, to meet in the semi-finals. Uh, obviously, there will be two players that will have something to say about that, Matteo Barrettini and Diego Schwartzman, because Schwartzman uh, beat Jan Leonard Struff uh, in straight sets. And Schwartzman is actually yet to drop a set this tournament. And we haven't really spoken about him, but he's done really well to come through, especially because like prior to the tournament, he didn't really have, you know, massively good results on the clay this year so he's done really well and arguably this the first set of his match today he really should not have won uh how he managed to win that i don't know yeah he he, st- he stole it at a tie break seven six eleven nine in the tie break and yeah it was just very very close and Schwartzman is one of those competitors that he has been able to do it before you know he he faced nadal in the semi-finals last uh last year and you know he's going to get another another crack at him 
Whether it's the same result, we'll have to wait and see. I would expect so. But, you know, Schwartzman's been, he's been quietly been going about his business. And Striff has been, you know, very, very solid this tournament. And to take him out in three sets was a very, I think, very, very, uh, you know, important, I think, for him or whoever the winner was, because they probably both knew that they were probably going to play Nadal next. And in order to, you know, really have a give themselves the best chance possible they probably would have wanted to spend as least time on court in the you know in their fourth round matches as possible and you know the fact that Schwartzman was able to do that and come through in three sets will will help him um I'm Kim I'm just fully expecting that Schwartzman Nadal match it'll I'm going to look at the scoreboard and it's going to be like two all after 40 minutes of play or something and Schwartzman's going to give as good as he gets but it, it might I think just kind of potentially tell out for him as well over you know, over the course of a best best of five set format there might be some more buckets of water by the side <laughs> of the court ready to be thrown on the match yeah i mean um they played last year in the semi and yeah there were some really long games i think uh, especially at the start of the match but rafa you know he lost to him in rome last year but yeah, when it came to roland garris you, there was only really one winner and you kind of on paper expect that to happen again um, I thought Diego did extremely well to win that first set today against Struff. Um, that was absolutely amazing. Probably the decisive moment in the match really today. Um, I mean, Struff's had a great tournament, but yeah, Schwartzman proving his uh, his worth once again on uh, on clay. And uh, yeah, that will be all set for, for Wednesday. So we will see. I mean, fully expecting Novak and Rafa to come through both their matches. Um, but let's look at the, the ladies event from today Joel because as as we said earlier Svantec is playing Master Kostuk as we're recording and Svantec's actually at set point so she she may well finish before us who knows <laughs> um but Master Kostuk I have to say is looking really from what I've seen you know whilst we've been recording she's looking very on it very determined and um obviously she had that win against Muguruza in the first round and you know Muguruza was was totally going to win the tournament, can I just say? And, you know, if it hadn't been for Marta Kostuk. <laughs> I mean, Kostuk, Kostuk has not dropped a set either, uh, this tournament. And I think what if, if I was Marta Kostuk, I'd just be really uh, annoyed with the draw gods because I think with, and in any other quarter, I think, I think she would have, you know, she would have been very happy. I think she's just been the very unlucky person to have been put in the, the Sviontek. Uh, quarter and although she's kind of come through Muguruza yeah she would have been hoping to you know to go on from there but you know Shantek has just been so dominating at the moment that it's really hard to see it's really hard to see to see anyone else particularly because as you said at the start of the podcast there are six uh quarter first time quarter finalists at Grand Slams left and it's it just it just all points to Shantek being the defending champion she is the highest ranked player left in the draw and, you know, she won this event last year. She hasn't dropped a set or lost a match here. Um, she's on a win streak. Uh, <laughs> everything points to her. Like, she is the bookie's favourite. You would 100% expect her to come through. And, like, looking at everyone else who's in the draw, like, no offence to them, but I, I fully would back Shriontek as well. Um, I let I me mean, let's just run through the other, you know, the other matches in this half of the draw because we mistakenly said Joel that Coco Goff and Stone Stevens were playing each other in our last episode. I was, getting t- I was getting way ahead, way too ahead of myself because Barbora Krejcikova had completely other plans uh, on her mind. Yes, she did. Uh, she was very ruthless today against Sloane <laughs> Stevens. <laughs> Only dropped two games in just over an hour oh. to oh, to not. Sloane. Yeah, Sloane. what you build think... you build me up. You build me up so much and then you give this performance i was i was very 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 surprised I, I don't know i don't know what happened there but she just she just wasn't at the races and krachichkova just ran away with it yeah but krachichkova she won uh strasbourg so she is on a a, a win streak much like coco goff uh which i think you know <laughs> we'd probably forgotten about so she's coming in with real form she's also still in the doubles uh and the mixed doubles i think so like she's on for more than one title right now um she played really well and she hasn't dropped a set this tournament i don't think um and she's got coco goff next who a similar story she won one of the warm-up events in palma she's on a a win streak coming into the tournament i think eight yeah eight wins in a row now she's got and 
she's had a great clay season and it's probably no surprise that she's got to her first slam quarterfinal. Uh, she won through against Onzibor 6-3-6-1 today in, in under an hour. So and again, a, another sort of very dominant performance. Um, it's it's great for Coco that she's like got to this stage of a slam. Obviously, she's still only 17, but it's really nice that, you know, after all of the hype that's been made about her, that she is actually justifying that and getting to like the latter end of slams now. I think it's kind of surprising, actually, because I think in the in the media at the moment that the focus and the attention is, I feel, been so much on Sfiontech and all the big names kind of, uh, you know, exiting or withdrawing. Um, and I think Coco Goff, despite being 17 years old, I mean, this would be an incredible s- story in itself, getting to the, you know, the quarterfinals at Roland Garros as a 17-year-old. Um yeah, it's just kind of flown under the radar. And I, and I wonder if that's kind of helped Coco Goff. I mean, she came through very easily against Onzibor. I thought that was going to be a lot, a lot tougher, but, you know, she's in great form. And I think what we, what we can say about the, you know, the quarter finalists that we, that we do have kind of left is that a lot of them are, are the form players. You know, you've, as you said, Goff, um, sorry, Coco Goff, uh, Krachichkova, uh, Bedosa as well on on the other side they're all you know have had the firm momentum kind of going into going into the event and um you know it, it's probably been it's it's been a tournament I think where you know seedings has not been as much as you know having having play under your belt and I think that that has sort of been shown in the the players getting to the latter rounds are the ones who have been playing and winning the the warm-up events yeah, it's a bit like in fantasy football when I'm deciding my team. I look at, you know, the form rather than Yeah, definitely. rather than someone's, you know, price or what they did, you know, last season. It, it's what they're doing now that is important. And yeah, Coco Goff, Bubble Kritichkova, bit of a mouthful. Uh Paolo Padosa, Igor Shvante, you know, she won Rome. So they're all um all informed players and um yeah, they're proving proving that uh, in Roland Garros. And I mean, Sophia Kennan was not in form and that maybe came to show today because she lost very easily to Maria Sakkari in the other uh, fourth round. So the winner, Sakari, will play Sviontek, uh, assuming she gets through Kostik. She's just won the first set. Um, and Sakari, yeah, loving the fact that she's proving the holiday vibes are going to get you the win uh, she's still going strong. She won six one six three today. Uh, Kenin, I think you know she. I saw at the end of the match she broke back um, and then lost her serve. So I was kind of thinking, oh, is there going to be a little Kenin comeback here? But it wasn't wasn't to be. And um, it does mean actually now we've got Sakari and Sitsipas in the last eight. It's the first time that both a Greek woman and a Greek man have made this stage uh, at the same the same slam which is very exciting for for greek fans it's definitely been a tournament i think you know has been memorable uh for italy uh, you know the men's comp- men's competition but certainly greece have again are, are really kind of i think building you know they've got two really standout players here in stefanos sissipas and mia maria sakari that can really kind of i think catapult their game back in their country and i think i was kind of reading uh in Sakari's uh, post-match press conference. The plan is to play with Sissipas in the mixed doubles at the Olympics, which I think would be a pretty fun team to watch. And you probably say, I mean, if you're just kind of going on singles rankings alone, they'd probably be one of the harder, harder teams to beat. Yeah, for sure. I think that would be a great team. I think they get on really well. They're good friends. Mm. And yeah, I mean, you'd have to, I'm just trying to think of what the other mixed doubles pairing yeah, would yeah. be now. I mean, is Sviontek going to play with, uh, is, is Lucas Kubot still, still going on, on the no, double yeah, scene? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think who, who else would be there. Um, Muguruza, will she play or Bedosa with, with, with Rafa? I mean, I don't, I don't know if you play the mixed doubles, but, um, yeah, that's a whole other debate and argument and kettle of fish but um we look forward to seeing if Sakari can go even further you know this is her first Grand Slam quarterfinal so another player that's obviously making uh, her debut at this stage of the event um but we'll look at all the other side of the draws as well in just a moment we're going to take a very quick break now uh, but do join us in just a moment uh, we'll look back at all the results from day eight of Roland Garros so don't go anywhere
This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to all the key points uh, that took place on Sunday, uh, day eight of Roland Garros. And I think it's fair to say, Joel, that this side of the draw uh, is, as you said earlier, the the new big three, I suppose, we've got with the likes of Sasha Zverev, Stefanos Tsitsipas and Daniel Medvedev. And they all won through uh pretty easily actually and they're all going pretty strong in this tournament uh I mean let's perhaps start with with Zverev the night session against Nishikori um you had this earmarked as a potential five setter are you regretting <laughs> that yeah big time I mean I did I hang on I did call I did call correctly that uh Sisipas PCB was going to be straight sets and you actually called Medvedev Christian Garin as straight set. So yeah, it's been a it was it was a very, very, very emphatic uh response from all all three of those players, um, Sispas Medvedev Zverev in round four. It it seems that they're all sort of peaking going into the the second week of competition. And I was particularly impressed with Zverev because I did wonder if Nishikuri could potentially cause an upset. You know, Zverev, I think, you know, his first match was five sets wasn't really you know I don't think he's been able to have a what I would say is a complete performance so far but this match I think was the kind of complete performance because Nishikuri you know he although he had those two five setters in, in round one and round two he had a little bit of time off um because of uh you know the re- the retirement of Laxon in, in round three but again it was just very very good I mean he broke serve eight times um from 11 opportunities Forced 34 errors from Nishikuri's racket, which is not not something you would associate with Nishikuri. And he only hit kind of 16 winners. And just on his day, Zverev was looking very, very good. And, you know, I think we are sort of, you know, Sissipas, if we were sort of ranking them, we probably say Sissipas is probably the favourite. We're sort of with Medvedev for the ride, but no one's really talking about Zverev. And maybe, you know, his round one match kind of put people off given it was so topsy-turvy. But, you know, with this performance, it was just very, it was just very, very consistent. And and that is what you want kind of going into quarterfinals, semifinals, whatever, getting through these matches as quick as possible. Yeah, he was two sets down, wasn't he, in his first round match? But it's mm. a very different ball game uh, a week on from that. And yeah, he was very comfortable in his uh, match with Nishikori. And he's also putting together this very consistent performances at slams. You know, he's made the quarterfinals uh, or better in five of his last eight slams. And we come to expect that from him now. Whereas, you know, maybe... A year and a bit ago, he was one of those players that wasn't even getting to that stage, despite the fact that he was being lauded as as the next big thing. So, he's we're not even talking about his second serve or his double faults at the moment. What what is going on? It's it's like a it's a week plus into the competition, and we haven't even spoken about like the the Zverev double fault count. Well, is that where opponents should be worried? Because when his serve <laughs> is on, you know, he's very yeah, much Yeah, exactly. On. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got Alejandro Davidovich Vikina next. I, I really like saying his name, I have to say. Um <laughs> and, you know, he came through against Del Bonis in four sets. So like he's in the quarterfinals, first time in his career. But you would have to one hundred percent back Zverev to come through that one. Uh, I, 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 it, as as well as Davidovich Vakina has done, I, I can't see him upsetting the apple cart. I think Zverev will come through to the semis. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm just going to say it now. I'm not a fan of his name. There's too many syllables there. I'm just going to call him ADF. But <laughs> sounds like a dodgy political party, though. ADF. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think. I mean, ADF. I think he has had two five set matches. Del Bonis was in four. I don't know if tiredness is going to come into play. He's got nothing to lose. And I think when you do have nothing to lose, you can be you can be dangerous. And Zverev is one of those players where I think he does, you know, we've seen in the past, he does get sort of flustered if his player is playing really well and he's sort of looking at his box and he's not giving off sort of the positive vibes or he's, he's got worried kind of, you know, facial expression, but you'd sort of expect Zverev to come through that in probably in, in three sets, to be honest. And that would that would put him in a really good position, I think, going into you know, going into the semifinals. If he can kind of kill that one off in, in straights, which he should do, um, it can give him a really good platform and a really good crack at you know, potentially getting to the, the French Open final. 
Yeah, because the other semi will be either Medvedev or Sitsipas, who will be facing off tomorrow in the night session in the quarterfinal. And this match is very... I, I, I'm edging with Sitsipas. I, I do think Sitsipas is the one that's most in form and, you know, has had a better clay season. But Medvedev has looked really good this tournament. And, you know, he's come from not having won a match at this at this event to... Like coming through to the quarterfinals very easily. So against Christian Garrett as well, who we were just expecting to really kind of put up a fight, but he went out really with a, a bit of a whimper. Uh, you know, he he beat him six two, six one, seven five. He was able to kind of get it over the line in that third set. But yeah, it's uh, you know, we were talking Kim earlier about, you know, form versus, you know, of other things and it's it's crazy to th- to me to think that you know the Medvedev Sissipas head to head rivalry, Medvedev leads it six one, and their one match on clay he also has a one zero lead. Having said that, I probably agree with you. You you would still I think say Sissipas is the favourite going into it. But now you've said that six one is quite convincing and. Perhaps the matchup doesn't really work that well for Sitsipas. So we could be on for an absolute humdinger, which is why I'm quite excited. And Zverev might be sitting pretty thinking, yeah, if they could just tire themselves out, then I'll be looking good for the semi. But yeah, I mean, Sitsipas came through against Pablo Carino Busta. Like you said, it was going to be straight sets. Uh, 6-3, 6-2, 7-5. PCB was a breakup in that, in that last set, but uh, he wasn't able to capitalize on that, unfortunately. <laughs> I think what was impressive about the the Sissipas victory was the fact that he went from beating someone like John Isner to then, you know, in in uh, you know, in three sets to, to then beating Karenio Busta in three sets, two completely different types of players, you know, one player where, you know, you're not really going to get extended rallies, it's going to be much more on the, you know, the start of the of the point whereas PCB is, you know, he's a he's a player who can classic sort of Spanish clay quarter, loves the loves the long rallies, loves the, you know, being far behind the baseline and being in the point as as, as long as possible. So I think what was for me quite impressive was the way he was able to adapt, you know, between that round three and round four match. And he didn't even need kind of a set to kind of get him into the, you know, get him into the mood of of understanding what, you know, what it is he needs to do to beat PCB. He was just able to kind of do it from the the first point and you know coming up against Medvedev yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating because you it's weird because you think the conditions the conditions if they're helping one person in the in the whole of the in the whole of Roland Garros it it feels like it's Daniel Medvedev it does and I'm just thinking I mean people were saying on Twitter oh the irony if it's like a Rafa Medvedev final and then (laughs) imagine if Medvedev wins you know it's all this debate about the mm. second seed and um mm. i mean who knows I mean, he's, he's a proving it off. at the moment isn't he which mm. a lot i mean you just gotta look at our collector set um <laughs> predictions and not a lot of people were expecting him to to live up to his his seeding but i think you know the fact that he's a- been able to make the the quarterfinals i think it, it's it's sort of you know he's, pr- he's proving the doubters wrong and i think the, the best part of it is the I think the enjoyment that he's showing, uh, you know, on, on court and, and with the crowd and in his, his kind of post-match interviews on, on court, you can tell that he's sort of reveling in it and he's just he's just enjoying his tennis. And, you know, when you're enjoying your tennis, that's when you play your best tennis. And that is really what I think is happening or, or has happened over the first four, four rounds when he's only dropped one set to, you know, Tommy Paul, who, you know, was, was actually, I would say, quite, you know, he was quite decent. Um, but yeah, it's it's... Again, it's just the way you want to go in in a slam, and he's he's given himself the best shot, I think. Um, you know, at taking out Sissipas, but you know, Sissipas is is probably the most informed player at the moment, particularly on in the clay season. Yeah, Medvedev is a bit of a kingmaker when it comes to our collector set because it very much depends on how well he does in the tournament as to who's going to win that. So uh, we shall be updating everyone potentially after tomorrow night. Uh, Let's have a quick look at the ladies from yesterday because uh, we were all sort of potentially hyping a Serena Vika quarterfinal. That definitely ain't happening because Serena lost. So did Vika. Uh, Serena lost to Elena Ribakina, who I was... You know, I actually thought Serena was going to be okay with this match. I thought, you know, she'd come through Danielle Collins. Uh, she was getting better round by round. I thought 
you know, she'd be she'd be fine. But as it came to it, she lost in in straight sets. And Rubikina played very very well. Um, like she could match Serena, you know, power wise. Um, she had a, a great serve actually. Um, I hadn't really seen too much of Rubikina. I know she had a great a great run at the start of last year, but you know we'd sort of forgotten about her. Um, but she's very much back and ready to to prove herself. I think. Definitely. I was very surprised. You don't you don't see headlines of Serena getting outpowered by her opponent, but I feel like this definitely was one of those matches, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, and she really did kind of outmuscle her. And I think, you know, for Serena Williams, I think this is the sign of the times. I think, you know, the the power hitters, you know, it, it might she might have been unrivaled in that area um, or in, in that style of, of play, you know. Uh, five, five, six, seven years ago, or whenever, but now there are other kind of power hitters out there, and Reba Kina is definitely one of them. And she showed today, she showed today her class. And again, another player who is doing really well in the the doubles competition um, is is doing that in the singles draw as well. And she will be, I think, looking to you know she's looking to 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 kick on really. And I think you know if you're Serena Williams, yes, you, you didn't come in with with great form, but I think regardless of, of kind of what she says in terms of, you know, maintaining a positive outlook and the fact that, you know, she did say kind of, I was just literally trying to win a match. Um, I still think you've got to look back and think the fact that there's six first time quarterfinalists, you know, at a slam level, that's a big opportunity missed. It does make you wonder if Serena will actually ever be able to get 24 because, you know, I know she... She hadn't had many matches coming into this and, you know, grass, for example, is, is a better surface for her. But, you know, if she's going to be out hit and outpowered. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what surface. It, yeah, like. exactly. There's going to be someone that can hit as hard as her now. Like there's so many players that can do that because the landscape has completely changed and, you know, the game has moved on and you sort of do question now if, you know, despite what she's saying in press conferences that she feels she's closer and that she's, you know, happy with how it's going um, and that her expectations coming into this tournament hadn't been high, which I think is fair enough as a fair assessment. But it does, you know, I do wonder. I have I have doubts about her and about Federer at Wimbledon, but um, they may prove us wrong as they have done before. And I think what's what's kind of interesting is because of the Serena Williams longevity, I mean, Reba Keener was two months old, two months old when Serena Williams won her first Grand Slam title at the US Open in September 1999 and you do wonder if she's inspired these players with the you know the style that she you know she brought to the court and you know these players coming up over the years and whether that's sort of bite, biting her behind because it's you know they've they've grown up watching that style and been inspired by you know role models like Serena Williams for example and 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 now that they're they're beating her at her own game um and it, you know it happened in in this tournament yeah, she's she's got no one to blame but herself, Joel. <laughs> um, no, it's been she's inspired a generation, and you know, unfortunately, that might mean that she doesn't get what she ultimately, you know, perhaps wants and deserves. But um, she'll have to wait at least another slam to do that. And I guess another player that you know, ex-slam champion Victoria Azarenka, we were very much like hoping she would be able to um, go deep at this tournament again. But Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova had other ideas because she came through five seven six three six two um as the match wore on Pavlichenkova was a lot more consistent and you know Vika just wasn't performing uh where she needed to be as it went on she missed a lot of opportunities and um you know she's had a good tournament overall I think you know getting to the fourth round because I don't think we were thinking too much of her coming into it she had a lot of injuries and, and niggles this year but um you know, Pavlyuchenkova back into the quarterfinals um, after a long time. And, uh, you know, she was in the quarterfinals of, of this event in 2011. Um, she lost to Skivoni, but she was like a set and 4-1 up. And, you know, Skivoni obviously came back and and won that one. But, you know, you've got to pick Pavlyuchenkova, I think, um, to, to be making potentially... The, the final like with her experience I just kind of have a feeling about her this time yeah you would think experience will massively potentially differentiate and separate out 
kind of uh you know who gets through to the you know the final particularly because it's so such an inexperienced uh you know field at this level and that may be where Pavlyuchenkova is able to kind of right you know rise above and again it was an impressive victory against think against Azarenka because I think in their head-to-head rivalry uh you know Azarenka was in a winning position I think some of their matches were you know from quite a few seasons ago but um yeah Pavlyuchenkova coming through um as well as that, we also had uh, Bedosa and Zidanzek uh, set up quarterfinal in that Osaka-less quarter right at the bottom of the draw. Um, Bedosa came through Vondrusova and Zidanzek came through Kostea. Um, again, a couple of players. I mean, Zidanzek is, I don't think she's she went beyond the fourth round of a, a Grand Slam before reaching the French Open and now she's in the the quarterfinals so she will feel like she's on cloud nine whereas I think Bedosa feels like you know the, the job's only getting started here you know she's got to the quarterfinals she came through that that you know enthralling match against Bogdan saving a match point she will feel I think like of this of this bottom half that's left you know with the form that she is in forget kind of experience um if you're going on form in that bottom half, you'd, you'd probably say it would be Bedosa. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bedosa, I think she's got the most wins on clay this season. Um, so, I, you know, it was it was quite, I think, expected that she would come through, um, th- come through her match. And, I mean, I wasn't really sure about Zidanezic Castella. I thought Castella would actually come through that one. But, um, you know, Tamara Zidanezic, I literally, I mean, this sounds bad. We know we we do a tennis podcast, but I really haven't seen her play before. I didn't know much about her, but that's what I like actually about players that break through and, you know, make these stages of, of the events because you get to know them and you get to to see how they play and, and what they're all about. And um, I mean, I am expecting Bedosa to to come through but I mean Zidanezek like she's made history for her country she's the first Slovenian player to reach the last eight of a major like since 91 like when Slovenia became independent you know beforehand it would have been part of Yugoslavia so um she must be you know pretty famous right now back home in uh in Slovenia and uh yeah, I mean, who knows? Perhaps it will go further and she'll join kind of the likes of, uh, you know, Podoroska from last year, very unexpected semi-finalist, perhaps. That would be the most unexpected. But I mean, just, just talking on Bedosa, because we've got to remember <laughs> the Australian Open, she was one of those players who came across from the, the Middle East. I think she contracted covid on on her flight over went into quarantine she didn't in you know she did an interview and, and effectively said it wasn't worth it and you could tell the kind of struggles that she went through when she was having to be in isolation for i think it was for 21 days so to kind of see where she was at in the the last you know the first grand slam of the the year and now where she's at in the second grand slam of the year it's it's really really impressive stuff and you know she's she cites marta kostuk as one of her best friends and the fact that you know they were they were able to kind of rely on each other to get them through that really difficult kind of patch at the start of the year because Kostic also got kind of COVID in in the in in January I think so it's great to see them kind of doing both kind of doing well and getting far um but yeah it's just it's just funny how literally kind of your story could change from from one slab to the next yeah there's quite a lot of unpredictability uh, especially with the likes of COVID in the works. But um, it has been quite nice that with the French Open this year, we haven't really had like all those quarantine dramas like we had at the AO. Um, let's just have a look at some of the other events, Joel, that have been taking place because we've had quite a lot of wheelchair finals today and, and yesterday. Um, and Britain are slam champions uh, with Alfie Hewitt because uh, he's been amazing uh i have to say this tournament he has won the doubles with gordon reed they they thrashed their opponents six three six love uh beating stefan Hude and nicolas pfeiffer um and that's their sixth consecutive slam title so they've become the most successful all british doubles pair so i mean that's just amazing they've got 11 slams in total together um alfie and gordon so yeah fantastic and alfie has also won uh the French Open singles title as well. He beat Shingo Kaneda. So that was um I think his second straight title at the French. So yeah, it's just amazing. It's I'm so happy for them. Really, really good stuff. Um unfortunately, um 
Jordan Wiley, uh, she was playing in the women's doubles final um, this evening or earlier today with Yui Kamiji. Um, I think they lost to your favourites, though, De Groot and Van Coot. So, uh, I mean, we'll allow that because, you know, De Groot and Van Coot are like, uh, their names cannot be beaten on a tennis court. <laughs> so, like, we'll, we'll allow it. But, um, yeah, a bit of a shame for Jordan. Um, and then just a note on the doubles as well, because. We have one hope remaining, and that is Joe Salisbury in the mixed doubles with uh, Desiree Krawczyk. They're in the semi-finals, and um, we'll be playing possibly uh, Barbara Krzyczkova and Philip Palasic next, or it could be Olmos and Cabal. I can let you know now. Has that Kim, happened? It, is Olmos, ah. it has happened. It's Olmos ah. and Cabal. It's last on Suzanne Longlen tomorrow. Um, so let's just let's just look at the order of play for tomorrow. We're going to do some mini predictions uh, for the quarterfinals. Um, we've got Zidanezek Bedosa, Rybakina Pavlichenkova, Zverev, ADF, Davidovich Fakina, and then the night match. We've got Sissipas Medvedev. I mean, where are your where are your eyes drawn to on that on that Philip Chatrier order of play? Oh, for sure. The uh, the night session. Sits past yep. Medvedev. Popcorn at the ready, please. Um, nice beverage or two in the hand. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, uh, I'm quite intrigued by Rybakina, actually, to see how well she can do against Pavs. I expect Pavs will come through, but it could go three sets. I think, you know, um, but I don't know. Well, Pavlichenkova's got, um, you know, that strapping on her knee. So I don't know if that might play a factor as the event goes on but um yeah i mean i think sits past medvedev that is um a very worthy night session i mean actually talking about the night sessions it's interesting that spiontek has got the night session tonight because we were saying in our last pod that like there's only been one women's match in the night session and then lo and behold uh they give it to uh spiontek which is absolutely fair dues because we were all saying that it should be rafa and sinner but obviously that match in the end did not really end out uh the way that some people thought it might. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what about you, Joel? Are you expecting a lot of straight sets victories tomorrow? Or Yeah, yeah? I've, I've, I'm, I, I'm sort of, I sort of agree with you. I feel like the, the two competitive quarterfinals will be Rybikina and Pavlichenkova, Sissipas, Medvedev. Uh, if you're asking, if you're going to push me for some mini predictions, I've got Bedosa in two, Pavs in two, Zverev in four, and I've got Sissipas in five. Mm, okay, yeah, I agree with you. I've got Zverev in three, though, and Sissipas in four. Um, but, you know, Daniel may prove us wrong. Uh, <laughs> I actually feel like, where I don't know where the crowd, or there won't, there won't be a crowd, will there? I was about to say, where will the crowd be at that? Who are they going to support? But there won't be a crowd, so that's an absolutely null and void question. Watching on their sofa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, in, in the Eurovision Song Contest, they had this weird thing where you could vote on an app, like, and it would translate into crowd noise in the arena. But they or they, <laughs> they could do something like that, you know, where you sort of press a button on your phone and, and someone yells out at, at, in Philip Chatrier. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, and we'll obviously be round it up on Wednesday whatever does happen um just before we go Joel I suppose we should quickly touch upon the grass court events that have uh started and uh, Nottingham's got underway uh lots of Brits in action I think Katie Balter won today against uh, Osorio Serrano who's probably not so au fait with the grass court um, no I wouldn't have thought so <laughs> I would have Balter would have been in big trouble I think if she would have, if she'd had lost that um but we've also had the Stuttgart draw as well mm. uh which uh starts tomorrow the main draw Shapovalov is the top seed Hubert Herkaj is the second seed um, you've got Dumanor and Auger Aliasim as well, uh, rounding out the top four seeds. Um, you know, looking at the draw, I think it's pretty, pretty good to draw given it's, uh, you know, the second week of a, a Grand Slam. Obviously, there are a lot of dropouts, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously, it's, I'm, ha- I'm glad to see Shapovalov back because, you know, he didn't play the French Open because of the injury and, and we thought he was going to be one of the, you know, the danger players, I think, but, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't ready. His body wasn't ready. So it's great to see him back. Um, I have got my eye though, Kim, on Lloyd Harris. Um, I know he lost to, uh, Cam Norrie, but I just think he has a pretty good game for, uh, a, a grass court. And I wonder if he might be quite a difficult person. Uh, to beat I know he's un- unseeded but um those that is sort of that's sort of my my thinking I mean Oje Aliasim 
again, there's always going to be questions. Can he can he win uh, a two fifty? Can he win a final? Where are your where are your eyes drawn to? Well, I just wonder if Feliciano Lopez is going to do a bit of a Roger Federer, and you know he's got to be <laughs> his Queens build up. Exactly. His Queens build up. He might be like, well, I've got to be in Queens in a week, so I might just rock up, get to the quarters, and then decide to pull out. Um, no, I mean, I hope he does well. He's he's great on grass. Uh, Dominic Kurtfer is also involved, and you know he sort of made a bit of a name for himself the other night. So, and Jeremy Shardy, I think he's always pretty handy on a grass court. So, uh, Dustin Brown also back in action with a wild card in his home event um just on the news of uh, grass and wimbledon uh carl edmund has unfortunately withdrawn from wimbledon he's still recovering from knee surgery so oh he's um you know 70 in the rankings now and it looks like he's going to be possibly out of the top 100 soon if if things don't continue to look up for him um and also Jeannie bouchard has had surgery on her shoulder um, so it's a bit of a shame because she was kind of working her way back up a bit, but, uh, she probably will be out for a bit, uh, with that. So, uh, yeah, just a few updates there. And listeners, that about wraps it up for this episode of The Passing Shot. If you want to stay up to date on everything at the French Open, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher. And you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. If you have been enjoying listening to the podcast over uh, over the last few weeks and you want to help out the show, make sure to leave us a rating and comment as well on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like, give us a follow if you don't already. And you can contact us on all those social channels uh, if you want to let us know uh, any feedback or if you have any queries at all. We do always love to hear from everyone. And you can also contact us via email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Wednesday evening, UK time for our quarterfinal round by round catch up. I hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon. 